630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, stormy afternoon in Edmonton, and uh, I'm sure some of you have uh, seen tweets or posts on social media about uh, possible flooding uh, to a 104th Avenue entrance slash exit to uh, Rogers Place, working to find out a little bit more about that as uh, this has been a really nasty storm going through the, uh, the area. And uh, we'll see what we can find out. Uh, again, uh, working to confirm this and about any potential damage to our arena that will be a hub host to the NHL restart with exhibition games starting on Tuesday, July 28th. The Oilers are going to play the Flames that day at 8.30. Saturday, August 1st, the Oilers open the qualifying round against the Chicago Blackhawks all games right here on 630 chat now should say this uh, apparent damage is in the, um, sort of that main entrance way off 104th ave and again i'm working to find out exactly uh, what is going on i'm just seeing this on social media as i'm sure a lot of you are so uh, i'll try to find out exactly what the deal is this doesn't I mean, the video that's that's shown here is not near uh, the ice surface or in the seating area or, uh, you know, anywhere near where the teams or the games would be played. Anyway, we'll uh, see if we can keep you posted on that throughout the course of the show tonight. Thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, you can reach out by calling or texting 780-496-0063. You can email inside sports at 630chad.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. A lot of discussion, well, really over the last couple of weeks on this show about the uh, Edmonton Eskimos potentially changing their name. And as we've discussed many times, I, I really think it's inevitable that it is going to happen. The Eskimos have put a timeline on the end of the month, uh, at the end of the month, to, to mention, to, to make some sort of an announcement. Chris Presson was on the show last night. He's the president and CEO of the team. And uh, the tail end of a question here where I was asking him, don't you kind of just have to, to do something so this all goes away? There's a way that we just need to stop talking about this, I think, and I don't know if that can happen without a name change. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I can't dispute that. I think, um, you know, the challenges around the issues we're all facing, right, with with what the pandemic has done to uh, a number of people and businesses and the fact that clearly within our own league, um, we have issues that we're trying to resolve. And, you know, as I always say, we're, we're right now as a business just trying to get to the other side of the river. And then when you add uh, when you add the name controversy on top of that, it certainly makes it more challenge. It's uh, we're putting our finger in one hole and and three other holes are sprouting. So. I think at some point it, it does come down to common sense, to be honest with you. And uh, certainly that will be a, a big portion of, of the discussion we have and uh, certainly don't take it lightly, which is why, you know, we're having the conversations we are. And I, I have to point out that, you know, we, we, we want to keep our promise of, of maintaining that relationship with the Inuit. And to do that, we need to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations, even though it's uh, by definition, a smaller group of people, uh, it takes us longer to do than sending out a survey. So I just ask that people give us that chance to do what we said we would do with them and get that, that to uh, completion here very soon. All right. So uh, to me, that was a really uh, key clip from Chris Presson 
last night, and obviously there's there's uh, been some reporting today by uh, by TSN's Ryan Rashog that uh, the TSN sources have been told that uh, the Eskimos are changing their name and there'll be an announcement next week. Well, that fits with what Preston said last night and things we've been talking about on this show for the past couple of weeks. I mean, the, the end of the month is two weeks away, and um, you know it's I think strongly. Uh, strongly been indicated in other conversations and speculation that that that's where this is headed i don't know if they would announce a new name whenever they do make this announcement they they may announce the retirement of the eskimos name and uh, that they'll be in the process of picking a new name and right now we we don't know if and when the eskimos are going to play their next game uh, certainly this coming season that that should have already been in progress is in question there's been talk about doing simply just six games in a hub city uh, a lot of American players aren't keen on that because of that they'd have to come up here and just make a third of their salary and uh, and then return home. So uh, that's all something to uh, to keep in mind. A lot going on in the world. I, I appreciate uh, that if you if you are able to text me storm updates from wherever you are. I'm sitting in my basement in Macaulay. There has been hail. There has been thunder. There has been lightning. There has been heavy rain. Um, so you're kind of my eyes and ears out there for what's happening around the city and in the area. This texture says, maybe let your listeners know 82nd street and 116th Avenue is flooded out 82nd street, 116th Avenue. I'll uh, try to provide as many storm updates as I can over the course of inside sports. Hopefully everybody is safe and thanks a lot for tuning into the show tonight. All right. We're going to take a quick timeout, some hockey talk with Jody Shelley when we get back. got a text from someone in northwest edmonton saying it's an absolute monsoon but no hail 780-496-0063 please welcome back to the show former nhler now an analyst with the columbus blue jackets it is jody shelley jody how are you doing you know what reed i'm doing great and thanks for having me back on you do a great job and uh, i always love talking hockey with you so thanks yeah, you're always fun to talk to as well. And we are getting back into the games here pretty soon. Uh, we're going to have games that count again, which will, which will be fun. I want to ask you this one to start with, though, Jody. What would what would have been the biggest obstacle for Jody Shelley, the hockey player, during your career, during the pause for the pandemic? What would have been uh, issue number one for you? You know what? I would have been a basket case mentally because when I played on a, as a fourth-line winger, your job is never safe. There's always, you know, if the team struggles, it's the first position to look at to get changed. So I would have been mentally not having a date of when camp was or what's happening. Uh, I would have been all over the map trying to do the best I could to stay in shape, be in shape, get better. Uh, and I would have had a tough time of relaxing. So I guess to answer you, uh, now that I've talked myself into it, the hardest thing for, for me would have been able to relax, take some time and get away from uh, hockey, and then start going again. Well, I, I love how you put that, though. I, I, you know, I work with Rob Brown. He says that, and being a pro hockey player is a great life, and a lot of people aspire to it, but... He, Rob always says there are really, when you think about it, very few NHL players 
who know they're going to have a job month after month or year after year, right? I mean, for every other guy, there's always that question mark, one injury that could derail something. There's There's always something, right? There's always someone wanting your job. You never know what management thinks. Um, you know, guys like us, you know, one or two year contracts, you know, that you're never really comfortable, which I think helps in longevity a little bit, a lot of urgent days, but a lot of time just grinding it out mentally. You're right. And, and it's amazing to see, uh, you know, it's still like that. I mean, and now with the cap getting crunched, who knows? And, and these guys are well aware of what's happening. You always know what's happening and where you stand, you think. So, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot to it, Reed. And, and uh, Brownie's right. He would know. Uh, you always have to be on your toes because the best league is looking for the best players every single day. Well, and and trying to break in, and, and I mean, you wound up playing over 600 games. I don't know if we've ever talked about this point in your career, but I'm trying to remember, didn't Calgary sign you and then you never actually played for the Flames and, and worked yeah. in the organization two or three years? Yeah, I was in the organization. So I played for the Halifax Mooseheads, um, and then I got to go with uh, Bill Stewart was the head coach in St. John. They had players like Jean-Sebastien Jaguer, Marty St. Louis, who was unknown, Chris Clark, Rocky Thompson. Uh, and I got to go there on a tryout. And I signed a professional contract after that. And I thought I was going to be in the American League. I got to go to camp and uh, in Calgary and ended up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which was their East Coast Hockey League team. And it wasn't just me. It was Derek Walzer, who was a pretty good player. John Tripp, who was a second-round draft pick for the Calgary Flames. You know, there was a bunch of pretty good hockey players down there. And that was where my professional journey started, was with the Flames in their East Coast affiliate. And then did they, did they wind up trading your rights? Is that what happened? No. Expansion came. And oh, right. I had, I had played... In, in Johnstown mostly, just a brief stint with the St. John Flames. So when expansion came, and that meant a new American Hockey League team, which a lot of people forget, that was two actually with Minnesota the same year, I got an audition, a phone audition, with Jim Clark, who was the assistant GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I told him I was his man for the American Hockey League. He took a chance on me, and I got really lucky with that opportunity. Just a phone audition. Did he know there was, was tape? <laughs> no, he no. Well, this is the thing. He just said to me flat out. He said, "Jody, I know what you do. I'm concerned that you, can you fight the big boys in the American Hockey League? Like, you know, he listed four or five guys. I said, Jimmy, I'd fight them twice a game if I have to. I'll do whatever. I, you know, I told him that I'm, and I was in Edmonton at the time. You know, you play the East Coast Hockey League, you make five hundred dollars a week, so you bring home two fifty a week." I was living in Sherwood Park on my parents' basement of their condominium, unfinished basement out there in Sherwood Park. Uh, and I remember doing this phone interview in the backyard in Sherwood Park thinking, you know, I hope it, I hope he picks me. And he did. And I was so excited. And that's when I started with training with Chris Dingman, who was, I mean, he's amazing how dedicated he was to training. And, and Dave Cooper, a former draft pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So when you're doing that interview in the backyard, are, are you thinking I- I'm going to make the NHL one day, or are you just thinking I, I got to get this job and go from there? Never thought of that. Never ever. I mean, when you play in the East Coast Hockey League, you don't think uh, about playing in the NHL. I just thought, wow, my salary could go from ten thousand dollars a year to thirty thousand dollars a year if the if he takes me. That's all. To be honest with you, that's all I was really excited about. You know, the opportunity and who I was going to be with. My, my focus was, A, I might not have to live in my parents' basement next summer, and B, 
uh, I have an opportunity to do my job in the American League and show everyone in the American League that I can do this. Yeah. Well, that's amazing, man. You never told me that before. And so that was Syracuse <laughs> Crunch then you wound up with. Exactly. I was yeah. at Syracuse Crunch, a great organization. And uh, for me, that was I was so pumped to be there. That was, you know, a great city. It's a college town, you know, basketball college town. We had a lot of fun. But it was fun being part of the, the Blue Jackets expansion and some draft picks, some players I was familiar with. So it, it was really a, a great experience all around. And I think you got into one NHL game before you basically became a regular the next season, I believe. I did. That's right. So when they expanded in 2000 here in Columbus, Kristoff uh, Olwa was their guy. And he got into an argument with a couple players over something, and he got traded to Pittsburgh. So Doug McClain was a GM here. And when Pittsburgh returned, so the second half of their first expansion year, which was the Pittsburgh came into Columbus February 17th, 2001, uh, I got the call on the 16th that I was going to go up. I couldn't believe it. I got uh, to Columbus. I got in the locker room. You know, I'm now looking at Lyle Odeline and Jeff Sanderson and Tyler Wright. They're all my teammates for this one game. Um, I go out. I knew I was there to fight Olawa, but... Uh, Steve McKenna grabbed me. I didn't even think, I didn't even know he was on the ice. That's how locked in I was on Olawa. So right off the faceoff, I was supposed to fight Olawa. I fought McKenna, went to the box, and then the next shift off the faceoff, I fought Olawa. So eight seconds of ice time, two fights. I ended up with two more shifts and a minute and 30, I think. And uh, after the game, I got my ticket back to Syracuse. I was disappointed, but at the same time, the whole thing was a blur. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Jody Shelley joining us tonight on Inside Sports, uh, telling you about some early days in his pro hockey career. And, of course, now he's an analyst for the Columbus Blue Jackets, which which is where I want to go here. John Tortorella is up for Coach of the Year. Man, the Blue Jackets battled through a lot of injuries. To me, Tortorella is such a fascinating figure because... In Canada, we often see him on the, uh, and I know he did coach in Vancouver for a year, but but we often see him on the highlight reel, on the clip reel, when he gets mad at a reporter for 15 seconds or has a off-color quote or, or something like that. Yeah. But clearly there's there's more to the man th- th- than that. Tell us what he's like uh, on, on a day-to-day basis. Well, you know, those clips, that's what we love about him. He's a passionate person. And I will tell you that he is, he loves his players. Like he is loyal and it may be loyal to a fault in some instances, but he is a great, uh, just a wonderful person. Um, We're proud to have him here as a head coach. He brought an identity to this team. As soon as he walked in the locker room, he moved some pieces out of the way that thought they were going to be here for a long time. Uh, He brought in some good, Jarmo Kekalainen, the general manager, brought in some good pieces Torts is now a guy that listens to Yarmo, tries to understand the player. He used to be a guy that didn't want to know anything about the player. He wanted to make his own judgment. But now he's like, you know, on a European player like Bjorkstrand, who needs more of an opportunity than a fourth-line role, who needs power play time. He's really an open-minded person with great passion for the game. And he has a spirit and a personality that I think uh, a lot of organizations need. So no nonsense with Torts. Um, he loves to he, he loves to give guys you know ribbings and being part of the laugh and and and, and being the guy to take a joke and give a joke. Uh, I played for him in New York. I got to know him a little bit, but I've got so much respect for him how he carries himself as a father, as a husband, as a man, as a coach and a mentor. Uh, he's a guy that's always evolving, and uh, anytime 
that we get to spend any time together or chat. It's it's really a time well spent with Torts and I. So, you know what? Personal relationship is great. You'd love him. You would, if you could sit down and have a beer with him, Reed, you would just love him, and he would laugh and chuckle with you about some of those highlight reels. That, uh, we hope he doesn't add to them too much, but there's a couple since he's been to Columbus, <laughs> and they're all in good fun, I'm sure. <laughs> well, what's the story here? He, was it Sudoku, uh, Sudoku puzzles, or what kind of puzzles was he giving the players to keep them sharp uh, during... Uh, that's a great question. Yeah, so so sorry to cut you off there. So he stayed. He's smart. I mean, he's he wanted to keep these guys engaged. He understands he's got young players from all over the world that who knows where their mind's going to be during this pandemic. So he did a five-question question trivia, and you had to get your answers in. The first one to get them in and the first one to get most of them or all of them right would get points, collect points, and then he's known for his uh, skating tests and pushing them through the paces in camp, uh, which he's backed off a little bit for this camp. But Gerby won the contest, Nathan Gerby, you know, the longtime journeyman uh, that's been in the wild for, league for a while. Uh, he was on top of it. He was relentless in answering some of these questions, NHL questions and, and world questions. Uh, so Gerby got the handoff, a portion of his uh, fitness testing and skating testing to another player on the team. So that hasn't been uh, resolved yet. They're only four days in camp. But, yeah, that's what he did. He kept them the competitive edge. He kept them engaged. You know, instead of sending them video or send them things, uh, to, to, they don't want to watch a video, and he knows that. So he just sent them some fun competitive moments to try to get them engaged and keep them with it. That's amazing. i got to ask you one more, and that's about the Blue Jackets going into the qualifying round. They had such an injury-riddled season, so many great players out. Seth Jones right at the top of the list. Every time I see him play, I, I think, God, what's the limit for this guy? He always looks so good. So, I mean, talk about a team that that gets that huge reset button here and, and gets to feel healthy and, and reinvigorated coming into the qualifying round. Yeah, and, you know, I, I agree with that, and I think that that's such a big thing. I mean, that is a massive to have Seth Jones back, and we didn't realize what we had we, we we talk him up and we praise him but when he's out then you really see what he's worth uh so he's huge york strand was huge yeah they got so many injuries and that's why torch is up for the jack adams well deserved to do what he's done with this group you know he's had minor league players up here all year but he pushes and and he stays on top of them um you know the, i think edmonton's the same way i mean all these teams and, and the blue jackets have to be careful because they had a slow start some of their veterans had a very slow start, and it was a good thing that these American Hockey League players was something to prove. Guys playing their first game, guys scoring their fourth goal, guys like Gerby playing, getting to play his 400th game. You know, he never thought he'd do it. He was stuck at 495 or 395 or something, excuse me. So the energy that brought, it brought a, a simplicity to their game. They adjusted to play a def real defensive hard style in front of their kind of rookie goaltenders and and. You know, it's really worked out. So, But they have to be careful because every team is going to be re-energized. Every team is going to be rejuvenated. Every team has had been banged up a little bit. Uh, so I think that if they just sit back and think, oh, we're healthy, things are going to be fine, uh, they might be uh, surprised a little bit. Jody, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always enjoy the stories from your career and your perspective on the Blue Jackets. They're going to be very interesting to watch. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I'm sure we'll talk to you once the playoffs get going. Hey, Reed, I appreciate you having me on, man. Uh, you do a great job, and, and anytime, you just uh, give me a call, and I'd love to talk with you. Thanks. All right, good stuff there from Jody Shelley, analyst for the Columbus 
Blue Jackets, uh, and I'm sure like a lot of you, I have seen the reports, the video of apparent flooding on the uh, 104th Avenue entrance at Rogers Place. Mark Spector of Sportsnet has just tweeted out, just more work to get ready, says a source. And Darren Drager from TSN has written, uh, the arena isn't damaged, according to those on scene. The NHL isn't concerned at the moment. Oilers are expected to issue a statement with more detail. And we'll keep an eye on this story on Inside Sports tonight. Well, man, a lot to follow. Obviously, a huge storm and video from uh, looked like inside Rogers Place. Now, when I say inside Rogers Place, not inside the bowl where the games are played. Uh, The way an OEG source uh, referred to it to me, the terminus of Ford Hall. So down the escalator, there's, there's video looking down the stairs, down the escalator to street level on 104th Avenue where there is, you know, water basically inside the doors and to the stairs and, and the escalator. Uh, just seeing some more video here, actually one of my, uh, one of my best friends, Courtney Terrio, who works over at city TV has tweeted some stuff and uh, yeah, I mean the, the foyer as he put it is, is a mess. Um so, yeah, Rogers Place has been hit by this as well. Uh, Oilers Entertainment Group says they will put out a statement tonight regarding what has happened. Uh, some damage to Ford Hall Terminus due to the storm. Fixable is the word that I have from OEG, and I assume they'll put out some more details tonight. So I, I know this is yet another crazy thing in, in a crazy year, and just just want to – clarify here this does not mean Edmonton's not hosting playoff games this does not mean they're losing the hub status this is not you know mean that well what I just said I I mean this is obviously unfortunate there's there's clearly damage to this entrance area um, but it is fixable we're a couple weeks before the games start um, so it sounds like it's it's going to be repaired and obviously the the storm is is really really bad and Rogers Place, uh, one of the places that unfortunately has been damaged by it. But we will get an update uh, from OEG tonight. If we don't get it during Inside Sports, we'll certainly have it on our newscasts, and uh, clearly Bob would discuss further tomorrow on Oilers Now. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Reed Wilkins with you, Inside Sports on 630 Chad, 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Uh, We'll keep you updated on uh, the storm situation in general. Appreciate a few texts that we uh, have uh, tonight. Uh, This person says, this was from about 12 minutes ago, 83rd Street just south of Bonnie Dune is completely flooded out. There's a car stuck in the water going north. So, yeah, I think the thunderstorm uh, warning has ended, but still, it's it's not great out there, so probably better to... uh, probably better to stay home and, and and be safe. But yeah, if you see anything particularly dangerous or an area that needs to be avoided, I, I'm happy to hear from you. 780-496-0063. The 2020 Canadian Football Hall of Fame class 
has been named and was not surprised to hear that it includes this man, 18-year veteran in the Canadian Football League, three-time Grey Cup champion. Welcome back to the show, Henry Burris. Henry, how are you doing? Oh, I'm on cloud nine, Reed. I mean, I'm feeling great right now to to be celebrating an honor that was beyond my wildest dreams, big man. <laughs> well, congratulations. It's well-deserved. You had an awesome career. You were always exciting to watch. Uh, you know, for Edmonton fans, you were always in the wrong uniform, but I, I think uh, I think they respected you. That's why, like I, I've, I've told you this in the past, Henry, that's why they booed you so much, because they knew that you could go out there and throw a long bomb and put points <laughs> on the board the other way. <laughs> well, hey, I was trying to be like that guy, the number one, uh, you know, that when you talk about uh, numbers retired and and players retired in Eskimo history number one was a guy I looked up to even when he played for the Eskimos in Warren Moon and I always tried to emulate his game you know with my arm and and my arm and, and mental abilities and and that's a tough one to live up to but hey it was definitely one heck of a standard to try to achieve well I, I want to uh, you mentioned mental abilities I definitely want to ask you about mental toughness and, and 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 the longevity but I have to ask you about the video where you found out that you were going to be going into the Hall of Fame. I, I got to admit, I was tearing up watching it. Damon Allen was involved. It, it was so well done. And you were caught a little by surprise. Your family uh, played, a, played a part in getting all that done. Yeah, I don't know how. Okay, now, I, I learned some new things about myself and my, and my uh, pecking order in the family where my kids knew since February, as well as my wife did. And yeah, my wife does a great job of keeping secrets. But whenever I try to keep a secret about my wife and her birthday, the kids would never help me out. But now they hold on to something for five months. So now I know I'm the, the lowest on the totem pole in this pecking order here in this house. But the thing is, I mean, I know everything was set up for uh, for football week, for CFL football week in Toronto at the end of March. But of course, with COVID, everything was uh, basically canceled and, and we had to try to improv and come up with something new. But the you know them taping that video of Damon Allen, a guy who I first spoke with, when a man named Steve Goldman told me, hey, here's a couple of guys I want you to get in touch with, being Damon Allen and Matt Dunnigan. And the first guy I spoke with when I came to Canada as a rookie was Damon Allen. And now here I am, the first guy that I hear from when I'm going into the Hall of Fame being inducted was Damon Allen. And for him to do the video the way he did it, saying a, a young kid from California, not drafted in the NFL, made his home in Alberta, and now permanently lives in Canada, and a kid from Oklahoma did the same thing undrafted in the NFL, made his home in Alberta to start his career, and ended up making his home in Canada. And then to have Mark DeNoble come on following that, and he's like the Sandman. When you see him, you know it's real. And you know any doubts, he's putting it to bed. And when I saw him, the tears just started to flow. But to be able to enjoy that moment with my wife, with my kids, the three people who sacrificed more than anybody, heard dad get booed, saw dad get cut, saw dad get traded, have been through all the ups and downs, and they've remained being themselves and never cried and, and whined. But they allowed daddy to play this game for 18 years, and they've been by my side forever. So to be able to experience that moment with them and then the emotions that poured out, I mean, it showed you tr just truly how phenomenal and humbled and honored I am to be in this distinguished club now. That's such a, a great story. I, I love how you tell that. And you've already mentioned Warren Moon. You mentioned Damon Allen. And I think that's what I want to set you up for here, Henry, is the importance of having idols, the importance of having mentors, and the importance of having someone who might even be a competitor in, in the world of pro sports being willing to you know, still 
I don't know if taking under your under the, under his wing is is the right word, but making sure that the the torch is is being passed. And you clearly had had people do that, and people you you looked up to along the way. Probably going back to the first time you ever held the football as a little guy. Oh, 1,000%, because as a player, that's all you ever want to do as far as you start out as that kid in the backyard saying, okay, here I am, I'm Warren Moon, I'm Randall Cunningham, I'm Damon Allen, and I'm throwing it to whomever the receiver might be, but it's all about you doing it just as that quarterback did it in that particular game that you just watched. And and I'm thankful I was able to be a part of some of those memories because now it's time for me to hand the baton off to the next generation of young kids that are watching Henry Burris throw the second and 25 pass to Greg Ellingson or Henry Burris throw the game-winning touchdown pass to Ernest Jackson in overtime that he bobbled, you know, Ottawa fans' hearts into the end zone and gave us almost all a heart attack and and that great cup against Calgary. But kids are now reenacting that, and just to know that parents are sending me videos via social media just to show that their kids are are reenacting those moments. I mean, that causes emotions because now I'm that guy who's able to help create those memories and and highlights for fans to talk about and carry on as kids to to aspire to be something or be involved in something for years to come, and that's what it's all about you know it's not about the things that you accomplish it's about accomplishing the things but also making an impression on others and also making an impact on others with the stage that we've been given and I made sure I I definitely took full advantage of it because I want to see kids continue this great game on and living out their dreams and having those passions and playing in the CFL one day because look at what the CFL has done for guys like myself and now I get to be a part of a club of guys that have continued to do that same thing and look to be outward be extroverts and making sure we can continue to make this game the best that it is the best on the planet and we can continue to see guys break our records and continue to pack up this uh, Canadian Football Hall of Fame with even more faces that were either born here in Canada or abroad. Yeah, well well said. And I, and I love how you say that, how parents will, will you know, share their, their videos or, you know, a youngster wants to be the next Henry Burris. And you're, you're in, a, in a cool position because you get to interact with people. You get to have fans and youngsters come up, up to you. I'm, I'm going to throw this one at you, Henry. You know, if, uh, if, if if a kid comes up to you and says, Henry, I, I want to be a quarterback, I want to be like you, your interaction with that young person might be two minutes. It might be 30 seconds. You don't have time to teach him how to break down an offense or go over his throwing motion necessarily. What do you hope to say sometimes in limited interactions to to inspire somebody if you can? Well, I keep it simple by saying if a small, snotty-nosed, gap-toothed kid from Oklahoma who you know, really wasn't the best at, you know, really anything compared to the skills that everybody else had. But what I did was I continued to believe and I worked my butt off and now my dreams came true. And even when people said I couldn't, I use that as fire to say, yes, I could and watch me go do this. Only person who could ever say you can't is yourself. And if you say you can't, then you allow those people to win. So let's make sure those bookers don't win. Let's make sure you're the one who at the end of the day has the big smile on your face because those people who said you couldn't get it done, they'll be telling everybody that you were their best friend and how much you used to hang out when you actually do get it done. So never believe their hype. Go out there and make them fans because that's what they truly are underneath. But they're just seeing if you really want it. Hall of Famer Henry Burris joining us tonight on Inside Sports. I I was watching that Damon Allen video. Uh, Were you number 16 or something when you came into the league? (laughs) I have to to be honest. I I have no memory of you wearing a, a number that high. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was number six. And, and, and again, uh, yeah, for me, I was always number 10. I was always number, uh, I was number 12 in my all-star game. 
and then I was 14 at Temple. So it seemed like I could only continue to go up two, uh, two jersey points with each uh, jersey I was given. So I went to 16, but I became number one once I went to Saskatchewan. The fans there voted on what my number would be. And, uh, yeah, they, they chose number one. I said number one or number 10, and that's what they chose. And I was thankful for that. And uh, it continued to be something that stuck with me. But, again, when once they did vote number one, guess where my mind went? To that guy on the wall in Edmonton, Warren Moon, who also wore number one. Yeah, that's all. I, I never do that. I, I, I honestly didn't remember any other number, and I, I don't think you'd ever told me that story about the fans voting in Saskatchewan before. That, that is pretty cool. Okay, <laughs> so, I mean, you had a long career. Uh, you know, you got to play for, for Calgary, Saskatchewan, Hamilton, Ottawa. You had a lot of great seasons, and, and you went into every stadium a, as a visitor at some point. So, so let me ask you this. Be, I'm not going to ask you which was the, the hardest stadium to play in because they're all challenging. But specifically about Commonwealth or Edmonton, uh, what were some of the, the, the challenges about being a visiting player in this city? Oh, man, Edmonton's tough because they've always had great teams. And, you know, you always know when you go into the city of champions, there's that aura of of great quarterbacking that's always existed in the city in Edmonton. So you knew whenever you were playing, and I always called you guys the the, the team John Deere, uh, but whenever you played Edmonton, you always knew that on the opposite sideline was going to be one outstanding gunslinger. But I also knew that the quarterback gods were watching over the Edmonton Eskimos because Look at how many years you guys have had amazing quarterbacks with War Moon, Tom Wilkinson, up until, of course, you guys had, uh, uh, of course, Danny Mack, and and uh, you had you know Coach K. Stevenson back in the day. You had David Archer, and there were so many great quarterbacks that I remember who used to don those colors. And of course, the guy that I used to go hand in hand with, uh, and we had a lot of Labor Day battles was, of course, uh, Ricky Ray and Jason Moss, and so. You always know when you stepped in that stadium, you were facing another great quarterback on the opposite sideline. Plus, just the aura of other great quarterbacks were always watching down over you with all the retired greats and their numbers that circled that stadium there at Commonwealth. But you knew also that when you're playing the Battle of Alberta, as I did for so many years with Calgary, and also when I played for Saskatchewan, knowing you were playing against a great Edmonton Eskimo team, you had to bring your A game because some guy, a number of guys like A.J. Gass and a number of great players that we used to play against and Senior Mobley, like these guys were imposing figures out there on the opposite side of the field, but you had to bring your A game to get the job done. If not, they were going to embarrass you in that house. And and we won some and we, don't, and we lost some, but you know, it all came down to the final few seconds, regardless of how good bad either team was it was always a fight to the finish and it was always a great atmosphere because i remember the days where i think one year we had uh close to sixty thousand people at a labor day game on the friday night like to me there was no better rivalry than playing on the monday and then the friday night because it used to be friday night up in in commonwealth if i'm correct yep. and uh but yeah it was just a couple of days apart even though your body was sore you brought your a game because all i the one thing i hate to hear was for high school football because you know you're, nothing's going good for you as far as in that case but the fans were great the fans were outstanding and just to be able to play in that city in the city of champions you knew there was something special always when you stepped on that major stage Okay, I almost hate to ask you this next one, but but I, I trust myself enough and I've been through this enough that sometimes you're hesitant about a question, but you, you got to ask it because you might get a good answer. Including playoffs, you completed around 5,000 passes in your CFL career. But because you've referenced a couple of memorable ones earlier, uh, the Ellingson one, the overtime one in the Grey Cup, do, do you have a favorite play, a most memorable play, or a signature play where if you said, hey, Reed, 
if you can only show people one Henry Burris play on YouTube, please show them this one. I mean, do you have anything that you could single out like that? Wow. I mean, there's a number of plays. Uh, I know I've, 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 I've talked about a few throws I had, I, I, I've had in my career. I've talked about when we played BC in 2008 to a, uh, to a tie in Calgary and I dove over Cam Wake and, and, and Corey Banks just to get into the end zone. It was almost like I got helicopter hit just to get into the end zone, which I felt kind of changed my career because never say die. I was going to do everything I could for my team to win. But in all honesty, the play that I think, you know, will be remembered for hundreds of years to come uh, is the second and 25 play uh, against the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the 2015 East final, because to have our backs against the wall in that moment, you just felt, the doubt start to creep back into Ottawa fans' heart based on uh, Ottawa fans' hearts based on just the past the experience and not having a great cup at that point in 39 years and haven't been to a haven't won a great cup in 39 years and they have been to great cups uh, but of course disappointment followed it up including in the early 80s when JC Watts and the gang lost to the Edmonton Eskimos mm-hmm. but uh the thing was in order for us to to defeat that doubt we needed something big to occur to give our fans hope regardless of what the scenario is, not only on the football field, but in life in general. And that play right there burst a bubble. I had never felt, I, I, if, if there was a Richter scale that, that would register earthquakes, I feel that that stadium shook at that point when that play happened. And just to hear the replay with A.J. Jackiebeck on the play-by-play, I tear up when I hear that play because I know that play will be etched in stone in the fabric of Ottawa and CFL fans' hearts for years and centuries to come, and it'll be a play people will be talking about forever and ever. Remember that young man, Alexander Burris? And and that's something that I'll never forget, being a part of that moment that helped change hearts and change perception as far as what the Ottawa football teams could ever uh, be capable of doing. Okay, and uh, last one. When was the last time or how often do you throw a football? Actually, I was just out working with some kids uh, uh, every Thursday between 1 and 3 with some university and high school kids. Usually once a week I get out and we throw the ball around. And I, for me, it's all about passing that baton on because I want to see other Canadian kids develop into becoming great quarterbacks because I believe in Canadians being Canadian football league quarterbacks and being able to excel and live out their dreams by playing the professional game that was created, the only professional league that was created in this country. I feel Canadian quarterbacks should have a better opportunity to do so. So I'm helping out as many quarterbacks homegrown to be the best that they could be in their development. So I'll get out there and sling it every now and then. And I, I still, I, I still want to make sure, you know, I'm staying strong and staying in good beach slash football shape because I still want to keep those young guys uh, nervous that, you know, if you guys slip up, there's still this old pup at 45 that potentially could come back, even though I'm not. But I just want to make it look like that and get out there and throw it and show I still have the strong arm and that I still have the ability to do it. That is awesome. Henry, again, congratulations. Totally deserve that you're going into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, and you're always such a great guest on this show. You're welcome anytime, and hopefully, yeah, we're talking about football games in the near future, too. Enjoy this moment, buddy. Hey, thank you so much, Reed. I appreciate you having me on, and I can't wait for us to get together and toast a drink uh, when CFL football comes back and truly uh, toast the moment, buddy. Great stuff. That is Henry Burris on Inside Sports 2020 class of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Earlier today, I tweeted out a link to the video of Damon Allen letting him know that he's going into the hall. It is really cool, really emotional. Rest of the class of 2020, John Huffnail, Fred Childress, Clyde Brock, Greg Vavra, and Larry Utek. Okay, we have a statement from the Oilers Entertainment Group. Here's what it says. 
A significant storm came through Edmonton earlier this evening. As a result, Rogers Place has suffered some water damage to the terminus of Fort Hall, along with some smaller leaks in other parts of the building. We are assessing the damage and at this time are confident that it will not hamper our planning and preparation, and we will be ready to host the return of NHL hockey as Hub City. We will share more information as it becomes available. That is the latest from OEG. So, yes, there has been damage in Rogers Place because of the storm. Uh, you heard it there. Water damage to the terminus of Ford Hall, along with some smaller leaks in other parts of the building, and it should not hamper the uh, Rogers Place, the city of Edmonton, being a hub for the NHL. Back after the break. All right, so again, here's the statement from Oilers Entertainment Group. Rogers Place has suffered some water damage to the terminus of Ford Hall, along with some smaller leaks in other parts of the building. We are assessing the damage and at this time are confident that it will not hamper our planning and preparation, and we will be ready to host the return of NHL hockey as Hub City. We will share more information as it becomes available. I'm sure you've seen the video or heard me talking about it of some uh, flooding in the 104th Avenue entrance kind of, I I guess I would consider it the main entrance to Rogers place. There are other ways in. So there's been flooding, there's been water damage. And I've been told by an OEG source, all fixable. And again, shouldn't uh, affect the games that are going to start here on the the 28th with the exhibition games. And then the qualifying round on August 1st, 780-496-0063 is how you can text. Robert says as a lifelong fan of the CFL and its people, Henry Burris is every single thing a fan wants in our Hall of Famers. It was great to have Burris on the show. Global News at 7. Good evening. I'm Thomas Dias. It's 15 degrees. A severe thunderstorm warning has come to an end for the city, but a watch remains in place with the storm system or system moving east-northeast. Well, the province is loosening up restrictions at continuing care centers, even as the number of active cases of COVID-19 is still going up. Chief Medical Officer of Health Dr. Dina Hinshaw says they're moving now from a restricted access to a safe access approach, meaning they'll give centers more leeway if they're willing to take on that risk. The new restrictions give guidance on how to assess the risk of visitors potentially having been exposed to COVID with more flexibility for low-risk visitors than those who would be at higher risk. Anyone who wishes to visit a loved one in a continuing care facility can facilitate more options for visits by strictly following public health measures in their day-to-day life. Today, there were 120 new cases of the virus identified in the province, the most since the start of May. 6.30 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.